Welcome to the ninth session now in our Accessibility Insights series, where AbilityNet's Head of Digital Inclusion, Robin Christofferson, hosts a monthly online chat with individuals who are each working to improve digital accessibility and digital inclusion. This month, he's chatting to Caroline Casey, who is the founder of the Valuable 500 campaign. Um, I'm, um, I'm Annie Mannion, I'm Digital Communications Manager at AbilityNet, and I'll be running you through today's session. So just to go through a few bits of housekeeping, um, we have live captions provided today by MyClearText, and you can turn the captions on using the CC option on the control panel. Uh, we do have additional captions available via streamtext.net forward slash player question mark event equals ability net. Um, we have slides available at slideshare.net forward slash ability net and also on our website at abilitynet.org.uk forward slash insights dash valuable 500. Um, if you have any technical issues and you need to leave early, don't worry you'll receive an email in a couple of days time with the transcripts, the recording and the slides. And then um, depending on how you joined the webinar, you'll find a Q&A window. If you want to ask Caroline or Robin any questions, do drop those into the Q&A area for them to address, but they will do that after today's session in a follow-up blog on our website, which will be again at insights-valuable500. And then just lastly, we do have a feedback page you'll be directed to at the end, which invites you to tell us about any future topics you'd like us to cover in our webinars. So do let us know if you can. So now over to Robin and Caroline. Brilliant, thanks Annie. And thank you so much Caroline for joining or for agreeing to be grilled today. I mean, chatted too. <laughs> Caroline is one of my favorite people guys. Um, no, you say that so to everybody Robin, come on. Really <laughs> pleased to have you on. Um, so yeah, first of all then, the, the um, tradition, what have you got um, beverage-wise to help you get through this ordeal? Well, it's not an ordeal because you are genuinely one of my favourite people and who <laughs> always forgives me for being a bit of a Luddite, so thank you. Um, today, Robin, I, um, I did discuss coming to this with an Irish coffee, uh, which would be coffee with a lot of whiskey and cream, but I didn't. I've come with an Irish cup of tea, cup on tea for a bit of Gaelic there for you so uh, which I actually do need a lot of today so yeah it's tea sorry nothing more exciting well I hope you don't regret the going for this you know the straight option rather than <laughs> the more fortifying one but anyway yeah brilliant I actually haven't got a mug today because I'm fasting at the moment um with, for my religion I'm in Baha'i so yeah I'm for the first time not able to tell you what I've got <laughs> it's usually just a boring cup of tea anyway so brilliant now first question the whole uh, remit, the whole point of the Valuable 500 is to encourage accessibility leadership at board level. Tell us, tell the audience why it's so important to get buy-in at the highest level. And you know, how does that um, help uh, accelerate or drive the accessibility agenda forward? Uh, well, the Valuable 500 really was about breaking the CEO silence on disability inclusion and accessibility and getting the intention, the attention of CEOs and, and leadership accountability. Um, and why it's so important is because we know that two things, culturally, the choices that leaders make affect the cultures of the organizations that they are heads of. 
And that means how much people are willing to invest and to innovate and to see and to um, support disability business inclusion. So without that, without that cultural leadership, it's not going to happen in the business. The second thing is there's a really good known expression, leaders make choices, um, but they also in the shadow and light of a leader. So if a leader is not willing to put that intention into accessibility or give the, their intentionality, things won't get done because most of the business will operate to the shadow and the light of a leader. So what a leader puts effort on gets done and what a leader doesn't care about doesn't get done. And so for us, it's really about getting the leadership attention so that we can really support the business in integrating accessibility and inclusion right across the supply chain, making this strategic, not something that's niche, but it's just the way the business works. And the only way that we can have that happen is if the highest level of the business believes in that and understands it and is willing to be accountable for it. Otherwise, it will be discretionary to other people who are passionate about it and it will just get get left aside when they leave the business. Absolutely. There are a lot of passionate people within organisations who feel very strongly about inclusive design, about accessibility. But unless you've got that top level, top down approach, um, then, you know, they might not be resourced or supported, etc. So have you got any tangible examples of where this top down approach has led to genuine cultural transformation that you can share? Well, I, th I think all of us know, and uh, I think your, your last speaker was Sarah um, mm -hmm. from Apple. And I think this is the best place to point to. You know, whether you you loved or, or loathed Steve Jobs, you know, right in his, um, right at the center of him was the principles of design for all and inclusive design, creating beautiful products that everybody could use. And so we know so many people with disabilities and their family members often turn to Apple products, but he wasn't designing or Apple weren't designing them for that reason, but that's just showing the beautiful expression, how universal design can benefit all. And what makes it so compelling is that we know that Apple was one of the first companies in the world to trigger a trillion. So it's talking about not only the beauty of putting hands in the product, uh, putting products in the hands of everyone, but also the business imperative and benefit of that. And I think that's that intersection between the humanity and the business case that is best made, or certainly was pioneered in my mind by Apple. Absolutely, and there's certainly no fundamental conflict between inclusive yeah. design for people with disabilities and better products for everyone. In fact, they're both pushing in the same direction. So we'll cover a little bit more about um, how things work within organizations uh, a little bit later on, but we were lucky enough to have an update from you at last TechShare Pro last November about how you how the Valuable 500 was doing. Have you got an update? And when you finally reach the magic 500, what's next what on, your <laughs> game, your, on your world domination? Yeah, well, the Wizard of Oz curtains open, no. Um, yeah, look, thank you. You know, AbilityNet have been really supportive of us and we deeply appreciate it. Um, you're teaching us as we, and I think that's the whole point is all about collaboration. And, and I think what has made us be sitting here at this moment as of this morning with 441 companies joining the Valuable 500, representing 17 million employees, 35 countries, 64 sectors, and the power of 7 trillion in the supply chain. And we're talking huge brands, big brands, and they all have to have over a thousand employees. And I just want to come back to what you said when we were talking about the very first question, why is leadership so important? 
look, we need to transform our business system that we are speaking about accessibility and inclusion as just the normal way of doing business, mm -hmm. that we are integrating and infusing um, business, uh, accessibility and inclusion mindset and behaviors throughout our business. And that can only happen when we get this leadership. But what's really exciting for us is we started as that campaign, you know, to get leaders to support the business and to resource the business. Now, what we're looking at is we'll be launching phase two of the Valuable 500 in literally weeks. And that is activating this very unique community of, which is supported by the CEOs to drive that system change right throughout the business. So it's kind of like getting 500 CEOs in their businesses to hack solutions for integrating disability business inclusion. Like that's the exciting piece for me. Um, so we're very excited about it. What happens if we get beyond 500? Well, okay, this is a point of discussion and I'd, I'd open this up to everybody. We really want other people's opinions on this. Look, first of all, when we started with 500, everybody said, you're off your mind. Who do you think you are to think you could get 500 CEOs in their businesses? And yes, we were crazy, um, but look, isn't the Apple great expression, those uh, crazy enough to think they've changed the world, they can. Yeah. Um, we're gonna stop at 500 um, because actually I want to acknowledge the pioneering leadership of the people within the businesses that have signed. It's a community and it's a community that we need to work with to scale that change. However, if the community and the CEOs in that community and the leaders in that community say, no, we need 500 plus, then we'll listen to them. But for now, it's to say, here we are, and you'll be getting the announcement on May the 12th or 13th uh, of who's in the 500 and the exciting plans for the future. Wow, that's brilliant. And that kind of comes to my next question, which is about, you know, follow through. Once people have, uh, you know, sponsored accessibility and digital inclusion and disability awareness at the board level, at the sea level, you know, is, is that just the beginning of the journey? And have you, as an organization, had to follow through to help them with that, you know, the journey that they've embarked upon to really embed kind of a collective uh, responsibility for owning, you know, the journey right across the organization? Well, yeah, well, that, you're right. Listen, accountability is a huge part of this. And how do we ensure that this wasn't, I hate this word, pledge, okay? Can I just tell you that people ever thought that we were going to create a pledge or some tick box thing? Not at all. Look, when we began this, the idea of breaking the CEO's silence on disability, business inclusion and accessibility, like that was fairly audacious in itself and that we could get 500 CEOs voices and global mm. voices, remember. So if we were to tell them right from the beginning, well, actually, so we That's have a trick up our sleeve. So we're going to get, we're going to get a campaign. And, but really what we want to do is create this global community for change to redesign and re-architect our business systems. Do you think they'd have come on? Probably not. Um, so we always had in the mind that there was going to be a phase two, but it's slowly, slowly, piece by piece. So how the accountability for phase one, which is the commitments of these companies, is actually our collaborators, our partners like yourselves. We've created this community, been working with multitudes of people around the world who have brought to their companies that they've been working with Ford. And so that's a place of accountability. The second is that the companies are posting their commitments on our website so the media can see it, their employees can see it, the public can see it. And we also hold the companies to account. 
But most importantly, this commitment was signed by a CEO. That's an honor code. So the peers will keep the CEOs to account, right? Mm -hmm. But the next part of it is so much more important. In a sense, this commitment to get into the community is the very first step. You're absolutely right. It's to whet the appetite, to invite them in. It was the invitation. Now, now it's about, now what can we do collectively and collaboratively together? I mean, do we have at our hands 500 shortcuts for system change? If we share best practice, if we innovate together, what is what could it look like the multiplier effect of, you know, for the campaign side, it was get 500 companies to do one individual thing. But what happens if we could get 500 companies to do several different things in the same direction? Mm -hmm. I mean, is that not the exciting bit? So yes, the campaign was the beginning and the second case or the second phase is transformative system change and nothing less. And we do not apologize for that. And we're creating a family and a community and a super system around the world to support our business leaders doing that. Yeah, because none of your signatories should object to that because that's what they, you know, they've signed up for change and this is about helping them achieve and realize that that transformation. Well, can I also follow up and saying this was really unusual. Uh, what we didn't expect is, and what gave us the courage to do phase two, aside from the World Economic Forum wanting us to do it, and then we getting the support of the Nippon Foundation and the International Disability Alliance, what's been really interesting, companies have come to us and said, please do another phase, or we've, we've already achieved our commitment, what can we do next? And I, I just think that was exciting because they started to feel that they were in a community or a collective for change. They're hungry for phase two. And so, whereas we were a little nervous at the beginning saying, listen, we didn't ask them to sign up for phase two. It's the opposite. They're pushing and saying, please give us more. Please help us more. And remember, we're only at C-suite. Our job is at C-suite. So we're not competing with other things that are in the world. Actually, I hope we're opening up more and more doors for many of our organizations to walk into. Brilliant, great answer. And this next question, I don't think you're gonna like. Um, okay. <laughs> As a leader, hold on. Yourself, let me have some tea. Let me some tea. Yeah, go on. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. As a leader yourself, and that's a, the bit I think that you're going to shrink from because yeah. you're so kind of self-effacing. But yeah, as a leader yourself, what tips do you have for other leaders to help drive the accessibility and inclusion agenda? Have you got any top tips? Well, you see, I guess I'm lucky enough to, to meet many of those leaders in the space of accessibility who I think everybody knows that I stand back and go, will you teach me? <laughs> uh, no, truly, because look, I, I don't ever claim to be anything that I'm not. Um, so what my, what my encouragement is, is to have real sense of confidence about the insight that you have. And confidence is different to arrogance, as we know. And I know the leaders around the accessibility space have taken the time to know where I am in that space, to meet me there, to not make me feel, you know, less than. And therefore, I get excited in the, that process of learning. So if you just take that with me and then you think about, OK, how do leaders in this space really accelerate this change, bring it up to the points of power and influence in business? It's exactly the same thing. It's about having the confidence and the insight and the experience and being generous and willing to share it and not about trying to over intellectualize it or to judge somebody because they don't know. And I think that's really powerful. 
So for me as a leader, is there are a few things. One is I always hope, and I'm so sorry if anybody's listening to this and I didn't do what I said I'm going to do, I do try. I think we have to stand by what we say we're going to do. And if we don't do it, own it. We need to know when we don't know everything and say, I'm willing to learn. But we also need to have the confidence to, um, to share what we do know. And I think that's about creating an energy and excitement around it and be willing to share again and again and again about what we know. Um, and I think for me, if there's one piece of advice about the courage to lead, um, I've always been very uncomfortable with this. I also got the valuable 500, why, why did it need a Caroline? And it, it, has, it doesn't have a Caroline, it's got loads and loads and loads of people, but because I think people connect with people. When we're leading, I think leaders who lead with their head and their heart, it's so relevant right now. I think we're going into an era, a decade of disruption of human-centered business. And let's be honest, accessibility is about removing barriers for everyone. And that's a very human heart thing. So I have learned not to apologize for my heart, but always to have the business stats or the science that backs things up. Um, so don't leave one or other at the door, bring them both into the table. Brilliant, brilliant answer. And you have brought so much heart to the Valuable 500 campaign. Just, just well, it has it a heart there. and its logo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, it has. Sorry. Okay. It's, uh, so no. it, has a, it has a V and then it has a heart in its logo. That is the uh -huh. other side of the V, which is, this, is the intersection that I keep speaking to is for any change to happen. We must bring both one what it's left and right brain it's mm. stats and story it's head and it's heart you know and that's what the logo represents it's both sides but it's the intersection of those both two yin and yang is where the sweet spot of i think real innovation happens that is um so yeah so that's yeah that's great so <clears throat> next question and it says here what's your biggest success but i mean you might want to say what's the valuable 500's greatest success today as if i mean it might be getting well over 400 uh, um, organizations to commit to having disability and accessibility on their agenda on a regular basis at, at sea level but you know what is there something is there a big standout thing for yeah, you over the last definitely months um, many months that have, you've been Pushing yeah, I, I will say there's a few um, launching on the main stage of the World Economic Forum. Wow. I mean, against all the odds, after remortgaging house, after thinking we just couldn't get there. I'm so proud of that moment. I can't tell you. And then we take two years on on the 29th of January to be the recipient of the biggest singular disability business inclusion grant by the Nippon Foundation for phase two. I cannot tell you the sense of pride that I had in the team and the partners. Um, thirdly, big moments for me are when people from the community, and I can't, I, I, I look, my voice wobbles every time. It's when they kind of say, good job, well done, um, you know, want to see more. I think that makes me really proud because I'm part of this community, um, a community I didn't own that I was part of until 21 years ago. So. That makes me very proud um, and that I hear members of our team be spoken about in a high regard. That's really important to me. Um, and I think, honestly, um, I had a really important moment a few weeks ago. I used 
a wrong expression. I said something like um, hearing impaired. And somebody picked me up on Twitter, doesn't matter who it was. And, and they were like, you know, get, really holding me to account. And I was like, I wrote to them immediately and I went, I'm really sorry. Will you teach me more? I didn't know. I should have known, but I'm just trying to do everything. And I think one of my proudest moments was that moment of they were like, yeah, of course we'll teach you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so grateful that that I'm learning not to be defensive and I'm not, you know, taking things personally. And I keep trying to try to infuse that value in the valuable 500. We're here to learn. We're here to collaborate. And the more that I see that happen, the more I get proud, because I think that is the thing I'm most proud about is not only the team, but the collaborators and the people who are willing to help us be better. Wow. I get excited about that. And making Twitter a nicer place. <laughs> yeah, look, I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be honest, I was scared. Like, you, you know, I'm no. so worried that I'm going to say something and I'm going to get cancelled out. But then, <laughs> then I think a lot of our CEOs and our businesses, honestly, haven't taken on strategically accessibility. And I mean, really strategically embedding mm -hmm. that mindset and behaviour into business because they're so worried about getting it wrong. And if we don't deal with that... So, because we have to create space for them to fail. Um, I, that really does worry me. So I have to live and put myself out and be vulnerable for that, as does the Valuable 500. I can't promise we're going to get it all right. Of course we aren't. But please, like the moments of when people want to collaborate with us and teach us, that's, yeah, I get very proud about that. Wow. And so, yeah, you mentioned about people getting things wrong and being afraid of that. So the last question I, I gave you was about your you know, proudest moments or the biggest successes. And the next one is about things that you've got wrong uh, yeah. and oh, you know, what, what takeaways you, you know, <laughs> what you've learned from that and whether you, you know, it, it could be applied to either the members of the Valuable 500 or, you know, more broadly. Oh, listen, I, I'm 50 years old this year. So I'm going to take this one personally first and, and to say, um, I have got as more wrong than I've ever got right in my life. Um, but the, the only thing I can say to anybody just listening in whatever field of work you do, whatever that you're trying to change, um, number one, never think that you're insignificant enough to make change happen. And I think that's really important. It's a cliche that's oversaid, but it's true. And I guess I stand here as evidence of that. But the second most thing I can say is never go against your instinct, your gut instinct ever. Because every time I've listened to somebody else um, and I, it goes against my gut instinct, I screw up big time, like big time. And then on the valuable 500 side, I'll tell you what I feel that I've done wrong. I, I, I think some at the beginning, I, I wasn't maybe confident enough. You know, I, I kind of was nearly so grateful. Do you know what I mean? So grateful mm. that we could do this. And, and I feel there's a confidence now in our team and the community who surround us and support us. I, I was always so worried of causing offense or trying to step over. And I think, well, hold on, we were doing a really good thing. And I think maybe we should, I should have been more confident. And as me as the leader, did I infuse that into, into the valuable 500? And then the other, the piece of what we have got wrong maybe is maybe we should have gone for the value of 1,000. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I, well, I think- Well, you've chosen to stop at 500. Yeah, we we so. have, and, and I think we've, we've, we've done that reason. But I, there's another great example for me of how you manage getting things wrong. And I think is um, 
Jenny Leifleri and Hector Minto, um, when I used to send out like, you know, video files, this is ages ago, and I was very shortly after the Valuable 500 was launched. I, and I would hate to leave anybody out, but I, I didn't caption. This is before COVID. Mm. I didn't caption my videos. And Hector Minto and Neil Milliken from Atos mm-hmm. and Jenny were like, Caroline, cut this out. And, <laughs> but they didn't mean it in a bad way. And they said, listen, here are the applications you can do. And can I just tell you, I realized it was so much easier. And so I think when you get things wrong, you, if you don't, if you're not defensive, but you're willing to try and hear what it is, like I got, like that was like winning the lotto when I worked out I could do it. So it's, it's our relationship with failure is really important, particularly when you're trying to innovate and particularly when you're trying to find change and you've got to find a good relationship with failure personally and professionally. And it is up to us in the work we do that we have to allow people to fail. And that means we have to allow ourselves fail too. Wow, we're running out of time. This is so awful, but okay. Couple more quick ones, if that's all right. So COVID, I mean, this shouldn't be a quick one really, should it? But anyway, um, do you think that COVID has impacted the reactions of, of business leaders to people with disabilities? And has it accelerated or indeed otherwise the, um, the role of accessible digital products? I think I know your answer. I'm gonna be, try to be quick. Um, I honestly can tell you that the system, business system changed. The, the system that everybody said couldn't change, it did. So no more excuses, okay? And uh, do I think, look, we were doing brilliant before COVID, I can't deny it, but I think the, the rationale for why disability business inclusion, why accessibility is no longer, well, we might do it, <laughs> it's when you're gonna do it. And I think the imperative for it has been really, really underpinned. So that's mm-hmm. my sense of it. Um, the second part for me is accessibility has become, I believe, will be, we are now on the path of this being as vital as health and safety in business. I don't think this is ever going to be a choice again because I have never felt more blind as I have through going through COVID. I've had to reassess how I feel about my vision impairment because of the inaccessibility of an awful lot of the platforms we use. And by the way, the solutions are there. So listen, the solutions are there. It's the intention of the investment of the leadership. Do I think they're starting to get it? Yes, I do. So I choose to see that this is a moment where we hold feet to the fire and say, no more excuses. Systems can change. What's the intention? Fantastic. So we always, at the end of these um, fantastic interviews, bring a question that was put from a previous speaker. As if you mentioned, Sarah Herlinger was uh, last month's speaker and Mm -hmm. she had a comment for you or a question, in fact, what tech, and I know you said you were a Luddite at the beginning, but you've also said that, you know, you're having to, um, you know, tech does play a very important role. So yeah, what tech have you personally had to rely on most in 2020 and all that COVID has brought? Uh, Well, look, no doubt um, from a tech perspective, like everybody else, I have been spending up to 10 to 12 hours on Zoom because obviously we're doing a campaign and we're doing events. So all of the online platforms have been incredibly important to me. Uh, Actually, I will say Zoom is probably my easiest, um, but then Google um, has been fabulous because it does the auto captioning as well. But what I will say, because I can't see chat, because I can't see things, do you know what I have used? Is my phone, my smartphone, my Apple smartphone in conjunction with Zoom. 
and I go on to Zooms and say, I can't see what you have. So I'm going to use my phone to take it to enlarge images mm -hmm. or pictures or to see stuff. So it's I've become quite creative that way. And that has become like I couldn't I couldn't do what I do without my phone helping me. She's going to. Yeah. I love that answer. So, well, yeah. And <laughs> Sarah, will you talk to me, please? I want to talk to you. <laughs> yes. Okay, then we, we can make that happen. I'm sure. Well, you guys, I'm sure have that uh, power as well. But okay, final question is what you will put to next month's speaker, who happens to be someone from the BBC, Emma Pratt Richins, who is a specialist in accessibility at the Beeb. So what would you like to pass oh, on well, to Emma, you? Emma, Emma, so this is my question to you. For actually BBC are one of the valuable 500 and will be very much playing a, a significant role in phase two. Um, my biggest thing for Emma is where are we going to see that, where's the power shift for the change in representation? Is it in front of the camera or is it behind the camera? And mm. what is BBC doing? Or is it both? Because I guess it's both. But what is BBC's plans in front and behind the camera to strategically integrate better representation for people with disabilities? Love it. Caroline, thank you so much. Brilliant. Absolute pleasure, as always. Thanks for all of those insights. And I'll pass back to Annie. Thanks. Yeah, so thank you so much, Caroline and Robin. Um, there are lots of questions that have come through that we hope to answer in the next few days. Um, you'll receive an email on Thursday with a link to access them. And I just wanted to share a bit more information that might be of interest to you. Um, we also run online training sessions on digital accessibility and you can find out more at abilitynet.org.uk forward slash training. Um, and I'm also pleased to offer you a 10% off discount code as a registrant of this webinar, which is AbilityNet Webinar 1010. And the training courses um, we have are available for various roles. And this week's course is uh, coming up on Wednesday. We've got How to Deliver and Sustain Accessible Digital Learning. And that's a new course aimed at higher and further education professionals. And then on Thursday, we have our Embedding Accessibility at Every Stage of Your Project course. And then just finally, um, you can also sign up to our newsletter for the latest announcements about digital accessibility, visit our YouTube channel and download our podcast. And we have a suite of accessibility services as well. And don't forget about our next webinars. Um, so as we just mentioned, we've got our next accessibility insights session with Emma Pratt Richards of the BBC coming up on the 6th of April. And you can sign up for that at abilitynet.org uk forward slash webinars so finally just thanks again caroline and robin and everyone that's joined us and please do complete the feedback form um, that you'll be directed to at the end and we'll be in touch with you soon bye everyone thanks, Annie. thanks robin thanks thanks, thanks a lot bye